Hey, thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message today, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. Open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter number 6. We're going to read a long passage here in Mark chapter 6. We'll start with uh, verse 7 and go all the way through verse 31. Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 31. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. And still others claimed, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. So the king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. 
I know you've seen the movie uh, Forrest Gump. One of my favorite scenes in Forrest Gump is where Forrest is sitting at a park bench with someone else carrying on a conversation. He's eating uh, chocolates and he says, he says, my mama always said, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. In this passage of Scripture, Mark is getting over to us that sometimes when you follow Jesus, you do not know exactly what you're going to get. God wants us to follow His Son Jesus, but we don't always know exactly what we're going to get. Now this passage is one of those ten sandwiches in the Gospel of Mark. The, the, the part that is the top bun encompasses verses 7 through 13 where Jesus sends out his 12 disciples on a mission. He sends them out in six groups, two by two, and they go out. Mark doesn't uh, uh, hint at us as to how many days long they were gone, but it must have been a good, a good amount of time because they went out and they, they preached repentance and a lot of people responded. They healed many people who had diseases. They cast out a lot of uh, demons from people who were demon-possessed. They really had a, a great uh, and successful mission that Jesus sent them on. That makes up the top bun. The bottom bun includes the last two verses of this passage, verses 30 and 31, where the, the apostles return to Jesus and they report about the good success they have. That's the, those are the two buns of the sandwich. Now, the peanut butter and jelly that's in the middle of the sandwich is found in verses 14 through 29 where Mark uh, throws us a curve. Uh, he's shown us the disciples going out on this mission. Everything they did was successful. Every person they tried to heal, they, they healed. Every demon they tried to cast out, they did. And they preached the gospel. We don't know how many people responded. Probably a good number of people responded. It was a very successful mission. And right in the middle of that, Mark throws at us this twist about the beheading of John the baptizer. The Herods, and there were four of them, were sons of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the king when Jesus was born. He's the king who tried to have Jesus killed and prompted, according to Matthew, uh, Jesus' parents to take him down to Egypt for a time until Herod was dead. When Herod died, his uh, kingdom, which had been granted to him by the Romans, was split up between his sons. One of those sons was named Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas had another uh, brother named Herod Philip. Herod Philip was married to a woman named Herodias, but Herod Antipas stole Herodias from his brother, and he married his brother's wife. And John the baptizer, being uh, not one who backed off of, of a conflict, he approached Herod about his marriage to Herodias, and he criticized him for it. And so Herodias uh, had a grudge against John the baptizer, and Herod, Herodias's new husband, had John arrested and put in prison in a place called Machaerus, which was just across uh, the area of Palestine, across the Jordan River into what is now Jordan. Now the Bible says here in Mark's gospel that 
Herod feared John. Herodias wanted John killed, wanted to kill John, but Herod, according to Mark, protected John because he, he feared John and because he actually liked to hear him preach. That's what Mark says. Matthew, in his gospel relating this same event, says that Herod actually wanted to kill him, but he didn't kill him because he feared the people. Not necessarily because he feared John the Baptist, but because he feared the people. Any of you who've ever studied the Bible before, in any kind of depth, you probably know that the Gospel of Mark was the first gospel that was ever written. It was written sometime around the mid-60s uh, in the first century. About 10 years later or so, Matthew wrote his gospel, and about 10 years after that, Luke wrote his gospel, and both Matthew and Luke had copies of Mark's gospel to use as a source for part of what they wrote. We know that because about 90% of what you find in the Gospel of Mark is in the Gospel of Matthew, and much of it is word for word. About 55% of what is in Mark's Gospel is found in Luke's Gospel, and some of it is word for word. Now, there are times because Mark is the shortest gospel and because his grammar was not that good, there were times when Matthew would take a story from Mark and he would uh, clean it up a little bit and he would expand upon it. Luke would do the same thing because Luke was a very educated writer. He would take a story from Mark and he would expand upon it and then he would clean it up a little bit. And that's the way Matthew and Luke would treat most of Mark's material, except for this passage of Scripture. In this particular story in Mark, when Matthew takes it, instead of expanding it, he abbreviates it, leaves some of the parts out that Mark leaves in. Luke, although he had access to this story in Mark's gospel, Luke chooses not to even put the story in his gospel at all. He totally omits it. And for that reason, there are things that Mark puts in this story that we would not find if we uh, were to look anywhere else. For instance, uh, only Mark makes us privy to uh, Herodias' grudge against John the baptizer. And only Mark tells us about the conversation that took place between Herodias and her daughter who had danced so satisfac uh, satisfyingly to, in front of uh, Herod on his birthday party. The Bible says here that, uh, that Herodias told her daughter after she had danced so well, she said, she said Mom, what, uh, her daughter said, what, what should I ask uh, for my father for uh, dancing so well? And she said, ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. She asks him for that, tells him that's what she wants. And Mark says that Herod was deeply distressed, greatly dis distressed. One translation says, deeply grieved over that request. The Greek word that's translated deeply grieved or greatly distressed is found only one other time in the Gospel of Mark. And that is uh, in describing Jesus when he is on, in the Garden of Gethsemane when he is praying so intense, intensely that his sweat becomes as if it were great drops of blood. Oh, that's the only other time in Mark that this word is used. And so Herod is greatly distressed. And still, because he doesn't want to be embarrassed in front of his guests, he orders the head of John the Baptist be brought on a platter. Why in the world would Mark include such a weird story 
such a depressing story, such a bad ending story in the middle of a story that was ending so well. Why do that? Why do that? Well, I think Mark is trying to tell us something about reality, the reality of following Christ. And there are three things in this passage about following Christ that I think Mark wants to convey to us and I want to convey to you. The first one I want you to note is that that there is the call to follow Jesus. Everybody has been called to follow Christ. You say, well, uh, I don't know if that's true. I thought preachers and teachers and deacons and denominational leaders were all called, but me, nobody knows me, I'm not called. Every person who has received Christ as Savior has been called to follow Christ. There is no such thing as a Christian who hasn't been called to follow Christ. We've all been called. Here in uh, Mark chapter 6, it says that Jesus went around teaching from village to village, and then he called the 12, his 12 disciples, to him, and he began to send them out two by two. Some interesting things here. He sends them out two by two. He doesn't send them out alone. We need help, don't we? We need companionship. We need affirmation. We need encouragement. We need to be corrected sometimes when we're not going in the right direction. And so Jesus sends these disciples out two by two. And then he gives them some specific and uh, some unusual instructions. He says, take nothing for your journey except a staff. Now, they're going to be gone several days. Take nothing for your journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Then he says, wear sandals. That's a problem I have right there. But don't take an extra shirt. I will tell you, and uh, those of you who are husbands, who when you and your wives go out for any number of days, if you're like my Amanda, she will not let me go with just one shirt because she insists that I change shirts every day instead of wearing the same shirt day in and day out while we're gone. If I ever insisted on wearing the same shirt without washing it or cleaning it, she would insist that I probably need to go on a vacation by myself. But he says, don't take an extra shirt. Don't take bread. Don't, don't take anything to eat. Don't take a bag for anything. You're not going to need a bag. Don't take any money for your trip. And then he says this. He says, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. Now, that may seem pretty benign to most of us, but think about it just for a minute. Uh, he's telling them, you go into a town. For, for some of these disciples, they're going into a town they'd never been in before. Uh, even if they've been in it before, it's not a town that they live in, so they're not all that familiar with it. And he says to them, you go to that town and you find a house, and whatever house will allow you to come in, you stay in that house until you leave. Now, that's a pretty good thing if you have a good experience there in that house. I mean, if you go in that house, they let you in, and if, you know, the bed fits just perfectly right, you know, it's not too short, it's not too long, your legs, your feet don't hang off the end of it, it's not too soft, it's not too hard, it's just right, there are just enough blankets, not too few, not too many, and, and the missus, she cooks cornbread that you can easily mix up with buttermilk, and it, and it tastes really, really good, and so you don't mind staying there a few extra days. But what about if the cornbread's not too good? And what about if the bed is too hard 
And what about if it's a cold winter night, but they didn't give you a quilt or a blanket, all you had was a sheet to cover you? And what about if, if, if things weren't clean, and all of a sudden you're there that night, but what has Jesus said? He says, if they let you in, you stay there until you leave. You see what I'm talking about? This could be a very, very bad thing. And yet, that's the instruction, part of the instructions Jesus gave them. And then he said this, he says, if any place will not welcome you, you are to leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And so there is this call to follow Jesus. And you say, well, why did he give him some of these weird instructions not to take a bag, not to take food, not to take money, not to take an extra shirt, and only to wear sandals? It seems like he told them to only take the bare necessities, and in some cases, not even necessities. Why would he do that? There's only really one reason why he would do that, and that is if you don't have anything else but Jesus to depend on, you will depend on Jesus. And he wanted them to depend on him. God wants you and me to follow Jesus Christ. And there will be times when we don't know how to do what he's calling us to do. When we don't know exactly where to go, what to say, how to say it. And Jesus is saying, look, you go and depend on me to help you say what you need to say. To help you be what you need to be. What I need you to be. There's the call to follow Jesus. Now, uh, before we leave this first bun, this first section of this, of this verse, the disciples come, uh, the disciples already, Mark is telling us that the disciples were victorious in their mission. Their mission was a resounding success. They cast out demons. They healed people who were diseased. They preached uh, the gospel. It seemed like all the results were good. Resounding success. And just like Jesus called them to resounding success, he calls us to resounding success. And sometimes you and I will enjoy abundant success. But just in case any of us gets the idea that every time we serve Jesus, we're going to experience successful results, Mark throws this little curveball to us. More like a knuckleball. We may have expected a curveball, got a knuckleball. We had no idea what to do with it. And that curveball was the beheading of John the Baptist. So in addition to the call to, to follow Jesus, Mark also wants to emphasize the cost of following Jesus. There's a cost. For John the baptizer, who had experienced a great deal of success, by the time Jesus came to be baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, there were throngs of people coming to him. He was like Billy Graham, man, in his heyday. People were, were just flocking to him. People were lining up to be baptized by John the Baptist. But those days had long gone. The resounding success that he had enjoyed at the first part of his ministry had long since passed, and now he sat in a dark prison cell in Macarus, away from everybody he cared about, everybody he loved. His own students, his own disciples, John had disciples, would come see him. And in one place, the, the gospel writers tell us that John uh, fell into a deep, dark depression. And in that deep, dark depression, he told his own disciples one day, he says, I want you to go find Jesus. And I want you to ask him this question. I want you to ask him if he really is the one that we 
have been looking for or do we need to be looking for somebody else? This is John the baptizer. He's a relative of Jesus, a cousin of Jesus. And when, when John baptized Jesus, John saw the, uh, the Holy Spirit come down upon Jesus like a dove coming out of the, out of the sky. And, and he heard the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It's this John the baptizer who heard this, who now in a dark prison is suffering from deep depression. And he's no longer sure that Jesus is exactly who he had, had been led to believe. Many people today, in private, they'd never say it publicly, probably wouldn't even say it to their best friend, but in private they're thinking, is Jesus really what we've been told he is? John's in depression. And of course, it doesn't get any better for John, does it? Before he gets out of his depression, an executioner comes walking in. What are you doing here? Stand up. What are you doing here? Floop! And he cuts his head right off. Takes his head, puts it on a platter, sends it back to Herodias' daughter. Herodias' daughter takes it to her mother. And her mother is pleased because now the man who had been, had been after her and after her husband all this time was now dead. There is a cost to following Jesus. We're all called to follow the Lord, and sometimes, and I would hope that even a majority of times, as we follow the Lord, the Lord's going to bring us abundant success in what we're doing, but not always. That's not always the way it is. There's also a cost. And then finally, though, Lest we think, lest we get all down in the same dungeon of despair that John the Baptist was in, lest we think that, that following Christ is all gloom and doom, Mark brings us back to the last part of his original story where the disciples came back, verses 30 and 31. And in these, we learn the compensation for following Jesus. The, the apostles gathered around Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. What would it be like for Jesus to come to you and say, look, you've been following me and you've really been doing a great job. How about come over to my place and let's sit down just you and me and let's talk. You know, this time of year, we have Academy Awards, Golden Globe Awards, we have Screen Actors Guild Awards, we have Emmy Awards, we have Tony Awards, we have all kinds of awards, and people are thrilled to get awards. We're all thrilled to get awards. But you know, the greatest award that anybody can have, I think, is for Jesus himself to bring us aside and say to us, why don't you just come spend time with me? Now, it's hard for us to fathom that that would be a great reward, I think. Some of you know that uh, I do a lot of uh, chaplaincy work for a Parrot Funeral Home in Fairburn. And uh, Tim Parrot, the owner out there, is a great friend of mine. I love Tim Parrot. He's one of the best people that I have ever met. One of the things I love about Tim Parrot is, and I've watched this in him so many times, somebody will come into that funeral home, 
And he may not know them or he may know them. And he will greet them, shake hands with them. And unless they're just absolutely full with, with business there at the funeral home, he will turn around and he'll say, hey, uh, I tell you what, why, why, don't, why don't you come in here in my office? Let's sit down just me and you and talk. And I don't know that he realizes how good that makes people feel. They come in there and he says, hey, come on, let's go in my office. He's got a big old office back there. Come on in my office, let's go back here and sit, just me and you. Let's talk a while. You know, you know he's busy. You know he's got a ton of other things to do, but he cares enough for you that, he, that he'll take you back in his office and just sit down just to talk. And it's a great reward for those who know Tim and who've been invited just to sit with him. But how much greater is the reward when Jesus says to you, why don't you come with me and let's sit for a while. There's a compensation for following Christ. The disciples came back. They'd had resounding success. And even after they came back, the crowds were, were gathering around them, pressing against them so great that they couldn't, even, they couldn't even find a place to eat. People were bothering them. And Jesus says, why don't you come with me? Come on back to my office. Let's sit and talk for a while. You need some rest. Mark wants us to know that God is calling us to follow Christ. And many times when we follow Christ, we will experience resounding success. But there will be times when it will cost us greatly. It will plunge us into despair. We will fall to the depths of depression. There will be times when we feel like we have absolutely no one with us we're all alone. It may or may not be true, but if you feel like you're all alone, you might as well be all alone. But the good thing about following Christ is this. While yes, there are good times, and yes, there will be some not so good times, in the end, in the end, the good times in following Him will outweigh the bad times that we experience as a result of following Him and and always, always, the greatest compensation for following Christ will be that he wants to spend time with you. He wants to say to you, hey, you've been working hard. You've been doing a lot. Nobody's really seen it. Come on back in my office. Let's talk for a while. Following Jesus is a lot like everyday life. Sometimes there's joy. And sometimes there's not. But we can always know that we have him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a blessing it is to know that we have you. And what an honor it is to know that you have called even us. Despite our mistakes, despite our failures, despite what we perceive to be a lack of abilities or a lack of talents or besides whatever. Lord, you still call us. And a lot of the time when you call us and we follow you, it's tremendously a blessing. And then sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's hard. Some people lose their lives. 
I thank you that in your word, you're real with us. You don't sugarcoat. You don't say, oh, follow me and everything's going to be great. You're going to get rich. You're going to prosper. Every time you witness somebody, they're going to listen. They're going to be saved. I'm thankful that you didn't say that. I'm thankful that you told us the truth. Truth is good. Lord, I pray for people in this room right now, some of whom need to come and receive you as their Savior. Some of whom just need to come and worship at the altar. Some of whom need to come and, and, and bring a personal issue they're dealing with to the altar. Some need to come and join the church. All of them will respond, be responding to your voice saying, come and follow me. I pray that people would do that right now in Jesus' name. Amen.